Welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. She loves cooperative board games. To episode six of Practical Research Parenting. Uh, so today we'll be continuing talking about emotion management and particularly we'll be talking about helicopter parenting and sleep. Um, so what I've referred to, what I'm referring to when I talk about helicopter parenting is if you can imagine the image of, of a parent hovering around their child like a helicopter, um, it's that concept of jumping in and fixing everything um, before problems happen for your child. Okay, so how parents respond. So last time we talked about um, how your face gives away what children should, how children should react to ambiguous emotions. And today we'll be talking about um, dealing with those actual emotions as they come up. So how parents respond to emotional displays like tantrums, kicking, hitting, smashing and yelling is important for building children's ability to control their emotions. Um, so controlling emotions and particularly the ability to calm down is really important for sleep, as we mentioned last time. So the first step in emotion management is to learn to interpret those emotions that um, we feel, as discussed before. Um, and in this post, we'll be lo- talking about coping with those emotions. Um, so parents who are more responsive to their children's distress tend to have children who are better able to cope with their negative emotions. Um, so this is this is interesting um, because it's basically, um, and I, I've found this knowledge really helpful actually, um, because it can be easy to um, see your child in a screaming heap on the floor because they don't want to eat the banana you offered them. Um, talking from experience, um, very easy to look at that sort of situation and want to laugh or because um, it just seems so small to us. Um, and But what we need to remember is that the emotions are real um, and being responsive and caring in those situations is actually really important and will help our children in the down the track um, to learn to cope with their negative emotions. So initially we do need to be sort of a bit of a crutch in that in that sense to give them the hugs and the comfort and the response that they need um, to calm down from those situations. And they will learn over time, um, I guess, the feeling of being that distressed and the feeling of calming down from that, um, even if that is facilitated by our hugs um, and our caring, um, they'll be learning that sensation and they'll learn more to do it more and more independently. Um, so we don't need to feel like that's a skill they need to learn to do themselves. Um, it, we can help and it's not making them dependent on us. Um, because when we are more responsive, um, research has shown that parents who are more responsive to their child's distress do have children who are better able to cope with those negative emotions. Um, so more responsive parents, what does that actually mean? Um, so in this study, they were those who rated themselves as more likely to respond to their child's distress by focusing on the emotion, um, by focusing on the problem that the child was having. So focusing on the emotion would be, I can see that you are very angry now. Um, and 
sort of hugging and, and giving that comfort. Um, or focusing on the problem might be, I can tell that you don't want the banana that I just offered you. Um, and trying to get to why that is actually a problem. Um, they show empathy. Um, so they do actually show that hug and that care, concern. They refrain from laughing at the situation <laughs> and that sort of thing. Um, and they managed to perspective take. So for Xander at that time that he didn't want the banana, it was a really big thing for him, I guess. Um, so being able to take that perspective and see that um, that is a stressful situation for them for whatever reason <laughs> that their parents are offering them a banana. Um, so I know this is a bit of a bizarre example. It's just one that's clear in my mind. Um, but yeah, these are the sort of things that come up. Um, so, or another thing that these responsive parents did was they were encouraging their child to express their emotion. So just let it out. It's all right. You can cry. It's okay. You can kick the ground. Um, are you finished yet? Um, just sort of letting them let it out and, and accepting that and not trying to stop it short. Um, or getting, trying to get them to talk about the situation. Um, so tell me about that. Obviously when Xander was kicking and screaming on the ground about not wanting a banana, he wasn't ready to talk. Um, but when they're ready, asking them to talk about the situation. Um, and they were less likely to punish or express distress themselves, um, or minimize the, the emotion, um, like get over it. It's nothing or harden up. That sort of thing, um, is not really helpful. So as a parent, your response helps to communicate and model how your child can cope with their emotions. However, if the only response from parents is to fix the problem, the only coping method children are likely to learn is to enlist parental help, which obviously we want them to become a bit more depend, a bit more independent than that. Um, so this could cause obvious issues at sleep time um, if they're reliant on their parents to always fix the problem. Um, and it could also become a problem when adult help is unavailable. Um, so I want to draw a distinction here. So um, it, they almost seem contradictory that you want to be responsive, but you don't want to fix the problem. But they're actually not. You want to be responsive to your child's emotions rather than jumping in and fixing the problem. So I had another a, a really good example of this the other day, actually. Um, yesterday, I think it was, Xander was playing around downstairs and one of his friends gave him a biscuit um, and he ate half and he absolutely loved it because um, we don't have biscuits in the house. So this was a real treat for him. So he ate half and then he was holding the other half and he said to me that he was going to eat it after his nap. When he has really yummy things, he tends not to eat them. He saves them for later which is really interesting. Um, but anyway, he said he was going to eat it after his nap, but then he was spinning around with it in his hand and he fell down and it fell on the floor. Um, now usually I'm not too worried about things falling on the floor, but yesterday the men, the pest control men had just come and sprayed everything. Um, so I wasn't going to let him eat it. Um, so he told me that it had fallen on the floor and showed me and asked if he could eat it. And I said, no, I'm sorry. And I told him why. And he was very tired at that point and have had an absolute meltdown as I can completely understand. Um, and I felt so sorry for him. And, uh, 
and I I wanted to fix the problem. I wanted to go over to the other kid and ask for another bicky for him, um, biscuit for him, because uh, I knew that would fix the problem. But I decided that that wasn't appropriate. That child had his after under a lot of encouragement offered that biscuit to Xander. Um, most probably at this point of time, he had no biscuits left. But even if he did, I felt that he'd um, given up one and that was, it wasn't polite to ask for another one. And I didn't want to take Xander um, to be asking for more and more. Um, so I didn't feel it was right for me to fix the problem, but I also, um, in that circumstance, but I also realized that I was beginning to focus on the problem. Um, but what my role was, was to really be there for the emotion and to help him if he could to fix the problem, which in this case, I don't think he could. We just needed to overcome that emotion. Um, so that sort of highlights the difference between focusing on, um, fixing the problem and focusing on the emotion. Um, so you can help your child through focusing on the emotion and by helping them to fix the problem. Um, but in a situation like this where the problem could only be solved by an adult, um, jumping in and solving the problem isn't necessarily the right thing to do. And I made the judgment call that in this case it wasn't the right thing to do um, and that that will it, it's a lesson for him um, to be careful of the things that he wants to eat or wants to look after. Um, a very painful lesson as it may be, but... Um, one that I had to help him through emotionally rather than just fixing the problem because these sort of things do happen. Um, so, so there were some interesting studies done on this sort of thing. Um, so Calkins observed mothers playing with their 18-month-olds in a series of tasks um, and they also observed how much distress those 18-month-olds showed in frustrating tasks where their mother was not a, not allowed to interact with them. Um, so mothers who were more frequently intervening by doing things for their child, such as, um, fitting a puzzle piece for them or inserting a block during playtime had children who showed greater distress during frustrating tasks. Um, so mothers who, whereas mothers who more often gave positive guidance during play, um, so rather than fitting the puzzle, please saying things like, oh, maybe you need to turn it around. Maybe that's upside down. How about you try over here? That doesn't look quite right. Where might that go? Um, that sort of thing. So giving more positive guidance during play had children who used more adaptive coping styles, um, such as distracting themselves when they had to wait for something um, and that sort of thing during frustrating tasks. So these results demonstrate a correlation. So that means two things are changing um, together, but it doesn't necessarily mean that one caused the other. It is possible that children who are highly prone to becoming distressed um, elicit more intervention from their parents. Um, so parents who know that their children get really distressed really quickly over not being able to fit a puzzle piece might be more likely to jump in and fit that puzzle piece for them. Um, however, it's quite likely that it also goes the other way um, and possibly more so goes the other way, um, that children who are used to having things done for them um, tend to get more frustrated when that help is unavailable. So in contrast, um, parents who provided the positive guidance um, suggest coping strategies that their children can later implement independently. 
Um, so whereas if you're jumping in, you, you are showing your child how to do things, but they're never learning to do it themselves. Whereas if you're su- making suggestions, um, then you're effectively providing them with a number of tools that they could use independently in the future. Um, and there have been other studies like that with similar results um, in terms of emotion, emotional reactions to waiting. Um, and all those, all those references, as always, will be on my website um, on the show notes for this one, ah, which I haven't told you what they are. So the show notes for this one are www.practicalresearchparenting forward slash emotion two. So forward slash emotion two for this one. So that's the number two. Um, so I've seen this sort of thing play out in my own responses um, to Xander's frustration. Um, so he'd often he'd often get frustrated with his floor puzzle, um, and still does sometimes. Um, so sometimes I think he's too tired. Um, so I suggest that maybe he just pack it away and try again later. Sometimes he's been working at it for a long time and one piece is frustrating him, um, so I'd often suggest that he play with something else until he calms down. Um, and sometimes he's been working at it for ages and something something breaks. And often it's at that point where I'd intervene and redo what he's done. Um, that's what I did when he was two years old. Now he's a bit older and a bit better at it. Um, so often I'd... I'd still just give suggestions as to how he might fix it and try to tell him that it's okay and he can fix it. Um, So since modelling sort of making all these suggestions, I have seen him use all those strategies independently. I remember being really proud the first time he got frustrated with his puzzle and managed to walk away without breaking it up, um, which was really good, and he then later, after a little while of playing with something else, he came back to it and finished it. So I was really proud of that. Um, it's really, really exciting when you see them start to take on um, the suggestions you've made and implement them themselves. Okay, so what does this all have to do with sleep? Um, so babies experience many feelings that are relevant to sleep. Um, so they might experience impatience because they're lying there um, waiting for they don't know what necessarily um, and they they have to do that for quite a while before they can fall asleep sometimes. Um, they have to deal with the feelings of tiredness, that sensation. Um, separation anxiety becomes a big one at, at some point um, and even anger that the caregiver, their caregiver has left the room. So they have to learn to deal with all these emotions um, and learn to calm down. So independent ways of dealing with all of these emotions can be modelled during the day when everyone isn't so tired. Um, so I really liked this idea that um, the problems we have at night aren't isolated to the night. Um, the problems that our children are having in terms of settling are actually things they're practising all day long. When you walk out of the room um, to do something in another room, they're practising um, how they can react at night when you walk out of the room, um, that sort of thing. Um, so in practice, in practice, I came up with a, su- a few principles. So firstly, react to the situation from an adult's perspective rather than mirroring your child's emotional response. So although you want to um, be empathetic with your child and um, acknowledge their feelings and justify their feelings, um, even when they seem to be uh, a small reaction to something big, 
um, your face shouldn't show concern. So, for example, um, Xander's really sensitive and always has been um, really sensitive to loud noises. Um, so when I hear a loud noise, while I do need to respond to his response to that noise, I need to be careful not to look scared myself or worried myself. And that's something that you can tend to fall into the habit of when you know that loud noises tend to be followed by screaming from your child. You might react to that that sense that your child's about to scream and you need to try not to because you don't want to pass that that or sort of amplify that fear of those sort of things. Um, so that's based on the observations in this post, but um, mostly, I guess, from the one in the previous episode. So number two, don't just fix the pain. Um, so if it's something that's in your control and not in your child's control, um, usually, and you need some mother's judgment on this, um, but usually the best step is not to fix the pain. Um, by all means, hug them, be responsive, sympathize with them, empathize, um, generally show that you care and understand, um, but just don't do something that they couldn't do themselves. Um, so don't buy them something that you've already told them that you're not going to buy them or um, don't shorten a wait if they need to wait for something. Um, don't replace an item that they lost, for example, um, like the cookie that Xander dropped on the ground. Um, and don't always stay in sight because that's just not practical. Sometimes you will need to do something in the other room um, and tell them that that's what you're going to do but th- and then come back. Um, but don't always stay in sight because you know they'll cry when you leave. So number three is to help your child with coping strategies that they can perform. So if it is something that they might be able to deal with, um, then this is a good opportunity for you to come in with suggestions as to how they might cope with this. Um, So something that's been really valuable for us is our suggestion of Xander lying in his bed with Mr. Leopard. Um, So initially this was, okay, I think it might help you. Would it help you to lie in bed with Mr. Leopard? Would you like mummy to come with you or would you like to go yourself? That sort of thing. Um, that's been extremely valuable um, because it's really it really helped Xander to calm down a lot of the time and now he does it independently. He, he, he knows when he needs some calm down time and to step out of the situation, he will go to be his bed and lie down with Mr. Leopard. Um, so that's really, really good. And it's nice to have a special place, um, like that for us, it's his bed with Mr. Leopard, but you could, if you have more space than us, <laughs> have their own little cubby house or that sort of thing where they can go and feel comfortable. Um, so yeah, problem solving with your child, um, which is something I just wrote a post on. So if you're interested, you can, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Yeah, so initially the problem solving will be basically making these suggestions for them, these helpful suggestions and seeing what they take on and what they don't. Um, and then over time they'll, they'll learn to come up with those ideas themselves when it's appropriate. Um, so the fourth step is when you feel that emotion yourself, model coping strategies that you'd like your, ch- ch- your sorry, your child to use. Um, so if you're feeling angry, um, doing simple things like stepping away from the situation and taking four deep breaths, letting them see you do that, um, is a, is a good idea and trying to, um, not react in ways that you don't want them 
to model, basically. Um, and I know that's easier said than done and none of us are perfect. Um, definitely myself included there. Um, it's a work in progress always. So thank you very much for listening. Um, so again, there's a list of the research-based books and tools um, to help your child manage their emotions on my website. So please consider signing up for that. Um, you can also get the transcripts there and that sort of thing and many other great resources. Okay. And I'm, to be honest, I'm actually not sure what we'll be um, having next time. I'm actually recording this in advance. Um, I am planning in the future to have a few interviews. So we'll see if I can line them up quickly enough. See you next time. Bye.